1: And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of It's My House podcast. I am, of course, as always, your host, Chris Dees. And, you know, in this day and age, the word legend gets thrown around far too easily far too often to people without really any weight to back it up. But today's guest is the only fitting way to introduce him. He really is a legend of the industry, making his debut very nearly 40 years ago. So, you know, a real, real long serving member of the um, of the locker room, wherever he's been, he's always been at the top tier. One of the most entertaining characters and gimmicks in WWF history. One of my favorites growing up is of course the one and only Mr. Al Snow, al, thank you so much for joining me, man. How are
1: you Thank you for that wonderful introduction That was uh, great <laughs>
0: yeah, I pride myself on my intros i 'm always told they 're really good. I just hope the yes. uh, hope the interview is is as good um, how, how are things with you man how, how's everything over in America or on your side of the pond
1: uh, things are going great here. Um, I don't know, you know, how things are there, but I know that with the lockdown and everything is starting to loosen up and, and we're starting to get back to somewhat of a semi-normal uh, lifestyle here in the United States. And uh, at least for the time being, we are. And um, everybody's very happy about that. And we're, you know, unable to resume um, uh, regular activities. And we're starting to here in OVW, we're starting to run uh, pretty live events every single week so that's been a big big help big help yeah yeah absolutely yeah things things for
0: us in the UK as you say they're just about getting back to normal now it's the um today's the 11th of July and we've got the date of the 19th which is when everything is meant to be fingers crossed back to normal no masks everywhere reopened so we're just we're just there just that's over there. the horizon now you can almost feel it it's so yeah. close to getting back to some if sort of Keep your fingers crossed, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. Just hope it doesn't happen again. Um, but anyway, yeah. we're not here to talk COVID. We've talked enough about yeah. COVID over the last year and a half. It feels like a lot longer than that. Um, right, man, let's get straight into it. Obviously, as I said, one of my favorite wrestlers growing up, you've been in and around the industry for the for the better part of 40 years now and made your debut in 82. Yes. Obviously, since since becoming a name, since becoming well-known, you, you have pretty much always had that tag of being a jobber or one of of the most iconic jobbers up there with the like for the Brooklyn Brawler for me. Um, But it's it's interesting. I
1: wouldn't, (coughs) (coughs) my apologies. Um, I called myself that, but quite honestly, I was never really a jobber. I mean, I was, if you think about it, I held three titles in WWE. I've held numerous titles throughout my career. I, uh, you know, had a bad attitude at the time and was, and had deemed myself as such, but uh, I actually wasn't. And, and the real term jobber um, came from back in the day. um, If you were a, a talent um, that you made, you made, uh, you're living off the live events, you, and as a result in the territories, they didn't pay you for TV. Um, If you wrestled on the TV, you were that was to your advantage because it was a commercial for you. It allowed an audience to know basically who you were. And, and now your, your name on uh, a form of advertisement would, would, be a, would be a reason why there were a percentage of people building, a building that you would get paid based off of that. Um, a jobber was a guy who wasn't going to go wrestle the live events in the territory. He just came in that day um for tv and nothing else hence he was doing a job performing a task and he was called a job you know a job guy or a jobber because he just came in for that day and was paid and then left he didn't he didn't make his money off the live events so you know, i try to educate people what <laughs> term, the terms actually mean and and um you know uh not to say i mean i would love to have had a As long a career as uh, the Brooklyn Brawler did, I mean, he, you know, he stayed in WWE probably, probably as long as I've been in wrestling. He's he's he had been in WWE, so, you know, that's a remarkable accomplishment to stay in any one given territory for, you know, that length of time. It's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and that's what I was going to lead on to because people misunderstand and people have this 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 idea that you were a jobber, but if you, a very, very quick look at your, your statistics, your, your match record, you won just (coughs) under 500 matches and only lost just under 600. So that's by no means, you know, it's not like the losses massively outweighed the wins. So to me, that wouldn't say, you know, jobber as, as people have come to, to think what the term jobber means. So you actually had quite an impressive record, you know, that's, that's nearly a a 0.5
1: ratio, isn't it? Not bad, you know, but wins and losses in wrestling and professional wrestling don't don't matter either way. Not what matters is, you know, whether or not I can convince somebody to want to pay to see me. And, um, you know, that was during my time in wrestling. That was where in my career, that was where I made the mistake. I focused more on at one point, you know, I got very, I was very immature and very, I uh, got a very bad attitude because I focused on the wins and losses and, and those are real relevant i really shouldn't have but uh you know i've had a great career i've been very blessed and um um, gotten to do what i love to do for as long as i've gotten to do it and nobody's yet to figure out that uh i have no clue what i'm doing so you know (laughs) as long as i can keep that up i'll keep going well you've done it for 40
0: years so that's pretty good pretty good if you don't (laughs) know what you're doing um, what um you, you you say that you were you were arrogant at the time like why if, if you knew that wins and losses didn't matter why why were you so focused on, on on that side of it
1: well I think um a lot of talent get caught up in that um because they if they don't win or win on a consistent basis they feel like they're being buried that the audience will uh view them as as something less than um when nothing could be further from the truth you know they're um when you go out there and you're in the ring whether you win or lose it's it's uh, in the terms of vernacular of the wrestling um it's your opportunity to get yourself over meaning to connect with that audience and make them want to see you again and you know you don't have to go over meaning to win to get over um you know there are plenty of people that you know if you uh, a good example would be tommy dreamer and uh ecw you know he uh you know he didn't win a match the whole time he was in ecw for until there at the end and he fought not wanting to win it beat um he didn't want to win the the ecw title and uh um screw up his track record but he was massively over in ecw as the you know as tommy dreamer and uh you know that just goes to prove that you don't have to necessarily win to you don't have to go over to get over
0: so yeah yeah, absolutely and and like you say that's that's a that's a great way of summing up probably the most iconic part of your career which was obviously um when you had the head character and the head gimmick um i know over the years man you must have spoken about head to death every interview every podcast you've ever done they must want to know (laughs) about about head but um For me as a fan, as I say, as a fan of you and as of Head during that period growing up, that's really when I got into wrestling. So I've got a lot of fond memories of that time. Um, What I've always wondered about Head is we've seen gimmicks like that come and go, which have never really matched up to being as popular or as over as as Head was. Why do you think that Head was so popular? Was Was it you? Was it the gimmick? Was it the way the fans responded? Or was it maybe the writing at the time for the character?
1: It was quite honestly the the reason something like that works and works well is because uh, just like in Steve Austin's case or Vince McMahon's case or um, you know Undertaker or Goldust or um, you know Triple H um, you know people that have you know the the one thing I always tell every young wrestler is that the the most valuable thing that you have to learn um, is who you are and and be able to have an audience describe you in a sentence or less. For instance, <clears throat> um, you know, if I say beer drinking, ass kicking, uh, redneck, you know I'm talking about Steve Austin <laughs> and, you know, or if I say evil asshole of a boss, you know, you know I'm talking about Vince McMahon. Yeah. Um, and that is key, but in order for it to work, what, uh, wrestlers are not actors. Uh, a lot of people claim that today and they say that the wrestlers are playing a character and they're not. Nothing could be further from the truth. Steve Austin is Steve Austin. What you see when he walks through the ring is Steve Austin. It's just that aspect of his personality. He turned up full blast. Um, it, it's a it's, while I liken it to. You know, if you're a, 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 you walk into a, a dinner party or a room, you know, with a bunch of people and you want to take control of the room, you know how to turn up your energy. You know how to turn up who you are uh, without being obnoxious uh, so that it draws attention and you take control of the room. Well, now you've got to be able to do that with your personality in a room of 20,000 people and to reach um, millions of people through the cameras at, at home. And, um, you know, that that uh, that means the one thing is you've got to be able to turn that up. But the most important part of it is it has to be real. It, 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 the the only thing that's that is similar to professional wrestling in a lot of ways is stand up comedy. And the most popular stand up comics will tell you that they're up there being who they are and they're being honest and they're being real. You know, even um, uh, you, know, you know, comics who uh, they create a, a persona, an onstage persona that that's you know, that's not really who they really are. Um, they they still it's it's an aspect of who they really are, and it's it's something that they can turn that volume up on and project the energy so that that live audience can connect with it. And uh, with me in the head, um, you know. Uh, at the time, again, I was very, very frustrated uh, with my career. Um, and, um, you know, I was resentful. I had a bad attitude. Um, I was pointing the finger everywhere but where I should have, which was at myself. But I used talking through the head, and being sarcastic and making uh, snide comments and things like that. I made them through the head. and um, And as such, <coughs> <coughs> it was real. And people could tell that it was real. They didn't come across like I was playing a character, Um, you know, and and that's so valuable and so important. One, because people can sense it, an audience can sense it. And if they can't believe in who you are, they'll never believe in what you do, period. doesn't matter what you do. Uh, But if they believe in who you are, again, it doesn't matter what you do, they'll believe in it. Um, Because it'll make sense to them that you as that type of person would do that. And so you know, nine out of 10 people, if you asked them back then, they would tell you that I was completely medically insane. And, um, you know, and I took it to the point because with wrestling, you know, it's very important that you give the audience what they paid to see. And it's not like any other type of vocation. You can't, you, you don't get to, you get to turn down the volume, but you don't get to ever turn it off. You, you are the person, you are the character. And, um, you know, I would go to dinner after shows or go to breakfast and, you know, when I was on the road and I would take the head into restaurants and sit there with it and order food for them and (laughs) me and we'd argue and have conversations. And, you know, I got I got asked to leave a lot of public places because, you know, it was creeping people out. But, um, you know, I did that because if you and your family were in there and you see me, and then next Monday night, you're flipping through the TV channels and you see me come out. You're like, hey, look, there's that crazy guy, remember? And you believe I'm really insane because, you know, I'm, I've been sitting there talking to the head the whole time.
0: <laughs> I love that. That's fantastic. That's just taken the character to a whole new level for me. I had no idea about that. That's um do you do you still have Head now? Do you still talk to Head at all?
1: Oh well, of course, yes. I mean, come on. It's not like you can end a relationship like that, you know. No, no. You know <laughs> We're never parting. We're never going we're never going our separate ways. You know, we'll we'll just stay together till our dying days.
0: You just don't get I think mean, obviously even, even the guys that try and keep K alive these days, because it's all because it's all through social media, it's great seeing somebody be their on screen character on social media, but then a day later, they're congratulating somebody on something, or they're thinking about sports or something. And it's, it's a very different kind. It's, I think because of the way the world's changed, kayfabe is so hard to keep alive now, not especially.
1: At not at all, not at all. Social media is not the problem. The internet's not the problem. It is how you use it that is the problem. You can blame, you can, it's much like here in this country, we blame guns. Guns are nothing more than a tool. You know i can play I, I hit my thumb with a hammer well it's the hammer's fault it's not mine you know it take responsibility um social media the internet all of that that is how that's how the talent use it and the and, and it's a great it's an amazing tool that can help to make you that much more of a of an attraction i mean look at what matt hardy did all he did you know everybody was oh my god he's such a genius no, he's not. It's, he's doing simply what we have been told to do since day one. And kayfabe, uh, you know, for people out there so they understand what it is, is it's simply a respect for your audience. It's 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 giving people, you know, at no point in time, I'm going to sell you me. OK, I'm selling you me. And at no point in time, am I going to give you a different person than what you paid to see? you know, and then make you feel like, well, I bought a product and now I'm, I've got buyer's remorse because I didn't get what I paid to see. Um, you know, I'm going to sell you on and, and convince you to care whether or not I win or lose a particular match, but now I'm going to congratulate the guy that I wrestled. Hey, thank you, man. That was a great match when I was supposed to hate the guy's guts or, you know, well, now you're, it bothers you, you know, and I can't tell you over the years, I never really got it until as I got older the number of fans that would come up and they go, Oh, I used to, Oh man, I loved wrestling. I used to watch it all the time. And they're like, Oh, Oh, great. And they go, yeah, man. I was a big dusty Rhodes fan, you know? And then, uh, you know, dusty was having this, you know, feud with so-and-so and I, uh, man, I, I'm, I was, I was such a fan of dusty's and then I saw him and the other guy pull up in the, to the building in the same car. And then that was it. I was done because it, ruins it for them you know it it does and you know um with social media the talent today have a tool that we didn't have years ago um it's such an amazing talent i mean look at what the young bucks have done for themselves using nothing more than social media um it's incredible that you know what they've accomplished and good for them you know they were very smart about it and um you know uh you know, when we were breaking out, know, when I was breaking into the business, we were totally reliant on the wrestling promoter and the opportunity to be put on TV in any manner. Because whether you won or lost, you were on TV, you now you're people are going to know who you are and, you know, are going to recognize you and are going to take an interest in you. And then now you are um, partly responsible for however many people showed up at the building. You get paid more um, social media. You have the control yourself. You can make yourself into an attraction before you even walk in the door for a promoter, and um, you can make a character, you can or a gimmick, you know, a persona. Um, you can create an audience, a following. Um, you know, um, it, that's all within your hands. Because the big, big misnomer that uh, that most wrestlers operate under. Um, is that um, they think that the promoters make them a star and nothing can be further from the truth. The wrestler makes themselves a star. Um, the promoter provides the platform, provides everything that they, that you might need uh, entrance music, lighting, um, an opponent, everything you would need to sell yourself and sell your product, which is you. Now you go out there and you capitalize on that and you make yourself a star. And then together uh, the promoter and the wrestler exploit that and then, you know, try to to make money together. Um, You know, but the wrestlers all believe it's it's the promoter's responsibility to make them into an attraction and nothing can be further from the truth. And the more that wrestler does that on their own, the more they've taken control of their own fate, their own destiny. And and at the end of the day, the wrestling business is the wrestler's business. It, it's one hundred percent theirs. Always has been. Always will be. It's the talent's business. And you know, if something succeeds, it's not the writer. It's not great writing. It's if it's if it fails, it's not the writer or or Vince. It's the wrestler who could not could not deliver on what was needed to be done in the ring that day. So yeah, look
0: at look at Roman Reigns at the moment. You know, there's obviously been some some great writing there, and he's working with Paul Heyman, which has has no oh. doubt helps because Heyman's one one of the greatest to ever do it. But if it wasn't for, for how well Roman is putting across that character, which is all him, because he is believable in sure. that role. You know, you could put anybody else in that role, But Dolph Ziggler in that role. You know, not going to work as much as no, Dolph Ziggler is very talented. He doesn't fit that mold. Well, it's, not program, it's just not yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> moment, um, interesting that you mentioned <clears throat> because at the moment, they're, they're really just doing very little on social media, but they keep doing the same thing. They just keep tweeting out, say, new bio, and people are waiting for it and people are looking for it and it's getting people talking about them and wanting to see what they do next. Literally, just by tweeting out two words a few times a week. it's It's, like you say, it's a very... Powerful tool, and it's very Absolutely. clever as well it's very clever the way that, that certain wrestlers use that um one of one of my favorite social media uses over the last few years, maybe not so much now, but it was the um the twenty four seven title the way that they took that and really elevated it across social media across youtube it pretty much became eventually a youtube specific thing for a while um as a as a former six time Hardcore <coughs> championship in WWF yourself. Um, yeah. What what do you make of the hardcore type? Ti- uh, sorry, the twenty four seven title. Do you, do you see those comparisons? Have you enjoyed the twenty four
1: seven title, or could they have done more with it? Well, uh, the only comparison I see with the twenty four seven title, with the hardcore titles, when they instituted that twenty four seven rule for the hardcore title, um, the 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 upside. Okay there's always a good and a bad the upside with the 24 7 title is is that it, it adds a a source of entertainment in the uh in the in your show you know um it, it in everything and everybody cannot be kicking ass all the time um it's wrestling has always been like a three ring circus there's in one ring you've got the animal act in the in another ring you've got the trapeze artist in another ring you've got you know, um, you know, clowns. Um, so you've got something for everyone that's going on and on a wrestling show, that's the way it should be. It can't be all just two, two or three hours of, you know, Oh, I'm going to kick your ass. You know, there's gotta be a little bit of levity and entertainment and, but done in the right manner. And and the 24 seven title allows that. Um, the downside to it is, is that when a title is, changes hands so frequently um then it starts to devalue it and if it really mattered if the title itself really mattered you wouldn't just have just the undercard guys going for it you'd have other guys trying to get it back get it away because at the end of the day the thing that we're trying to sell at all times okay is that professional wrestling is no different than professional boxing or professional MMA in the sense that the wrestlers themselves are prize fighters and their wins and losses, and I think that's been what's a lot of what's been lost, especially for the talent, is that understanding. Their wins and losses matter and have a consequence because if you don't win as a professional wrestler, you don't get paid. As a boxer, as a professional boxer, you don't get paid or you don't get paid as much. And the more often you win, the better, the higher your paydays become. And yeah. consequently, with titles, it's not about winning a title; it's about winning the title so that now you get you get better paydays. If you're the champion, you know, instead of just getting paid, I don't know, we'll just say 100 bucks a night. Now you're getting paid 500 a night, or you know, depending on the you know, for the 24/7 title, it's the lowest you get paid 500 a night. You know, if you're the Intercontinental Champion, it's a 1000 If you're the, you know, tag team champions, it's $1,200. If it's the heavyweight title, it's, you know, it's $2,000 a night. Well, if it were real, let's face facts. Hey, I, I, you know, I don't have a title right now. Yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to win the 24-7 title. I'm going to go take it and take my shot to get it. And I don't have to be at the bottom of the card to do it. And if they would in, if they would integrate some of the other talent into those things, then the title itself would mean more, and therefore you could do more with it.
0: Yeah, no, I fully totally agree, and maybe have it appear across all shows as well because it seems to be just specific to Raw. Yes. Those guys that that tend to be around that title scene, <laughs> a lot of them keep getting released, so there are less and less people to vie for it. But I completely agree. I think. Um, <clears throat> Oh, I can not remember who it was, but I remember there was something that happened a while ago where a wrestler sort of more towards the middle middle to higher end of the card literally looked at the belt down on the ground in the ring and, and just didn't care, didn't, didn't go for it. And when I, when I saw the that, title, I thought, like, why should I care
1: about it then? Correct, because they, you, they, have, they have made the title irrelevant, so the people that are holding it are irrelevant as well and that, that's the wrong thing to do. You know, they should have, you know, the, t- the, the the talent should have, oh crap, it's here. I'm gonna get it, you know, type of thing. Not, you know, and then it would have really meant more and therefore what they did with it on TV would be even more entertaining for you because you would care about it. It would matter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, um,
0: right, so, Moving on from the twenty four seven title, but keeping things still quite relevant, we mentioned Roman there. You're obviously keeping up with with wrestling and what's going on at the moment. Are, are you still like really up to date? Do you still watch wrestling? Do you do you watch everything going on at least within WWE, or how do you feel about the industry at
1: the moment? Well, I don't really. Um, I try to keep up as best I can, but I'm so busy with OVW, it, it yeah. really makes it limiting my amount of time that I can uh, watch someone else's show you know what i mean um as far as the industry as a whole (sighs) um, i'm probably going to say controversial stuff here it's going to upset people which will be good for you because it'll draw (laughs) attention um the most misused term in wrestling today is um work um or worker people use the term a lot of people use a lot of terms that they don't really know what they are or what they really mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and that means even the, the wrestlers themselves. Um, there are no workers in the wrestling business anymore. Um, not this generation. Um, and that, and the, way, the reason I say that is if you understand what the term to work really means, you know, I hear it all the time. Oh, he, he's, a, he's, a, he's a really good worker. He's a really good worker. Oh, is he? Yeah, he can he can do a lot of stuff. He can really go. He can really go in the ring. He looks really good. But that's not a work. Doing physical moves is not working. That's performing. Okay. A work, in the truest term of it, to work you, to work someone, is to make you believe a lie. It's a sham. It's a con. It's not the truth, okay? There's only one lie in professional wrestling. Only one. There's always, there's never, it's not fake. The only fake thing that has ever been in professional wrestling, the only thing that we're ever trying to convince you of as a fan is that we as are out there as competitors trying to win and trying not to lose. And every single thing we do, is centered around that one simple concept. We're no different than MMA or in boxing. And trust me, the one thing in both of those sports that can and is, and sometimes the case is fake, is the outcome. And we're only trying to convince you that that outcome means something and matters and that we're really trying to accomplish it, period. That's it. Be honest. When's the last time, even for a brief second in a match, you were able to feel like that was the case.
0: Wow. Um, exactly. Yeah, it says I no, love could, I'm having to try and think about it, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, you shouldn't have to. No, you no. know, you, you, you appreciate today's athleticism. You appreciate yeah. today's moves. But let's face facts. When they do it, they're not trying to convince you of why they did it. They're trying to convince you of what they did.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. Why do, you think that's, why do you think that's changed so much over the years? Is, is that, that just it's, the mentality within the wrestlers? Is that, is that the bookers? Is that the, the writers? Is that who who's no, made writers, that happen? Wrestlers.
1: One is a lack of understanding and being taught from the ground up that that's ultimately what they're trying to do. They're not taught that anymore. They're taught what to do. They're never taught or explained that they have to convince somebody of why they did it. Yeah. So they don't know. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other reason is because too many of the wrestlers allow those who have no real knowledge, the the um, writers of newsletters. Uh, fans that have no real knowledge you, you have an incredible access of information, a wealth of information about any topic you want to have nowadays but in order, th- this is a reality this isn't my opinion, this is a reality um, in order to have real knowledge about a topic you have to have a commensurate amount of experience if you do not have experience I don't care how long a fan you've been of wrestling, I don't care that means nothing to me except for the fact of my gratitude, because without you, I can't have a job. Okay. Mm-hmm. But you're now, you don't have any real knowledge. You have no real understanding of what it is I'm doing or why I'm doing it. Cause you've never done it. That's like saying, you know, if I get sick and I go to the doctor and I've watched a thousand medical shows and I'm a huge fan of medicine, I'm not going to tell the doctor how to fix me. Yeah. And if I, if the doctor listens to me, well, he's an idiot. Because I don't know, because here's, here's a fact, you can attend medical school and depending upon your area of expertise, you can go anywhere from eight to 12 years. Once you graduate from medical school, you are not a doctor, you do not get that title. People think you do, you don't. You now need to do complete a certain amount of residency, which is actual hands-on experience supervised under a doctor who has knowledge. Now, between your your information you've acquired over the eight to 12 years that you've been to school and that actual hands on experience coupled together, makes you have real knowledge and gives you the title doctor. Same goes for any other topic in the world today. Simple as that. Just because you have access to information does not mean you have a real knowledge of that topic. And you certainly do not have more knowledge or have real knowledge in comparison to someone who does it for a living. That's insane. But too many of the talent now are performing for. Here's the other reason. The talent aren't performing for you anymore. That's a fact. They're not going in the ring and wrestling for you. Your Your opinion doesn't matter they are wrestling for each other, trying to impress each other. And they are wrestling for that small group of people that write a report and give them a critical acclaim and say either it was really a good match or it was a bad match. It, that's the truth. That's why the talent are so caught up in today and in the locker room uh, calling every single second not living in the moment, not reacting to each other, to the referee, not interacting with the audience like they used to. They're so concerned that they're going to forget the next thing that's coming up and they're scared to death that they're going to make a mistake. It's not that you'll notice it because you won't. It's that somebody in the back will notice it and will call them out on it. Or someone who's writing a report will notice that they made a mistake or they did a botch you can't botch anything unless you expose the wrestling, the lie. If you ruin the illusion, that's the only way you can make a mistake in the wrestling ring. Otherwise, there's no other, no way to do it. It's not possible because you can, you make and create everything you want to make and create, and you're only limited by your own imagination and creativity, as long as it's within the context of a competition, as long as you're trying to still win and not lose, you can't make a mistake. But Today, the talent are more concerned about what the opinion of the other talent are than they are about you. And I can I can go a little further. And the way I can tell you that and prove it to you is that when I wrestled, when I first started, I'd work, you know, three, four, five, six days, seven days a week, um, 12, 13 years. Never heard anyone ask me how my match was. Do you know why? Nobody said, hey, how you? And I never came back through and, Hey, did you see my match? Did you see my match? If I, if I asked someone, if they saw my match, it was because I'd asked them an older vet to watch it um, and tell me what I did right or wrong. Okay. I never had that question never came up because it was assumed that if you were on the card, y- your match was going to be good enough or else you wouldn't get booked again. Yep. All right. The only question that was ever asked by the talent was what's the house? Because we derived our income from how many people showed up. And the more people showed up, the better we got paid. We didn't have a guarantee or even a downside guarantee. First WWE, WWF contract I signed back in 95. I was guaranteed 12 dates, which were all TV dates, at $100 a date. So I got, was guaranteed $1,200. That was it. I wasn't guaranteed anything else. Nothing. Wow. And that's the way the entertainment business works. That's another big misnomer today in modern wrestling. Is that, oh, well, you know, hey, you are entitled to get paid. No, you're not. You're not entitled to dick because that's not how this operates. Okay. That's not the way that this works. If you work for uh, uh, Tesco, okay, yeah, you're entitled to get paid because you made an agreement that you would come in and provide a service to get paid so much per hour. And the great thing about working a regular job is that you can go in and you don't have to give 100% on that day maybe you gave 25% that day effort, right? And Tesco, they're still going to pay you 100% of the money they agreed to pay you for that day. You agreed to X amount of money per hour, they're going to pay you that per hour, no matter whether you come in and put 100% in or not. In the entertainment business, your only value is in direct relationship to putting your name on a form of advertisement and how many people will tune in on a particular night to watch the show because of you, or how many people will drive to a building, leave the comfort, safety, and security of their home, drive to a building and pay to get in it and sit in a crappy seat around people they don't want to sit around to watch you. If that number gets lower, you get less money. If that number goes higher, you get more money. And not, well, you know what? I don't leave the house for no less than, well, then you're not leaving the house (laughs) because You're not entitled to get paid. Yeah. You, you're entitled to an opportunity. If you're good enough, you can get an opportunity. And then that opportunity gives you the chance to make yourself into an, an attraction, mm-hmm. to do business. And if you make yourself into a star, then the promoter and you will, will then capitalize on that and will try to exploit it to its fullest so that you both can make money. That's what Steve Austin did. He came in on the same type of contract. Everybody came in on that contract of guarantee of the only thing you were guaranteed was 12 dates and hundred bucks a date. And he went on to become a huge star. Hulk Hogan came in, same way, you know? Um, That is your responsibility as a talent. You're not entitled to get paid. And and, and as such, because of the fact that today in this world, uh, especially on the independence, young wrestlers have that attitude you know i'll give you a good i'll get tell you a quick story um my daughter dated a young man that was a wrestler i advised her to never date wrestlers but you know but he was he was a good guy um and he asked me for advice and he said you know i've um a promoter contacted me um wants me to come in and i told him you know he you know he's uh he said we start everybody out at, at uh Forty dollars, you know, 40 quid, which was, you know, in England's probably 60, um, 60 pounds. Right. And uh, he said, I told him I couldn't do it. I needed at least 50. And I said, and he said, did I do the right thing? I said, no, you didn't. He goes, why? I said, why do you think? He said, well, I need to pay for, you know, petrol to get there and back. I need to pay for food. and I got to make some money. I said, let me get this straight. If I put your name, his name was Dustin Writings, or Dustin, um, uh, I can't remember his last name, but it was Dustin. If I put Dustin, I said, if I put that on a poster, how many people are going to walk into a a building, a convenience store, a gas station, a a grocery store, um, a Tesco, a Walmart? How many people are going to walk in, see that poster, and not because it's wrestling? not because of anybody else on there, but how many people are going to see your name and are going to buy a ticket? He goes, well, and I said, be honest. He goes, well, probably nobody because they don't know who I am. I go, exactly. I said, so your value is zero. I said, you're asking for five tickets of value. And really in order for me to pay you five, I've got five tickets of value. I got to get you, you got to sell me at least seven or eight. Seven or eight people seed you and only you are what motivated them to want to come to the show. I said, nothing else. I said, and you're telling me no one, you're not going to sell one ticket. I said, so wouldn't you have been better off to go take the opportunity at 40 and then made yourself into an attraction that would have sold enough tickets to warrant you coming back and renegotiating a better deal? He goes, well, when you put it that way, I go, well, there's no other way to fucking put it. (laughs) That's the only way you can put it, because that's how the entertainment, not just wrestling, music, acting, period. You know, a movie star is held in higher esteem than a television star because a movie star's real job is to motivate you to go watch their movies in a movie theater. If no one pays to see the actor do his job, then the, the movie production company doesn't make any money that's it and they don't care if you can act Arnold Schwarzenegger was a horrendous actor let's be honest but he got to make lots of movies why because lots of people paid to see him well yeah that's um that's sort of opened my eyes a
0: bit i came into this just thinking You know, I I, I didn't expect all of that. I feel like (laughs) the experience is brilliant. It's um, sort of made me see things from a different perspective. Um, It's really interesting. It's it's really, like you say, as fans, we, I don't think I put myself in this group, but fans think they know what's going on at all times, just because they read the dirt sheets. They read, like you said, the newsletters, and they're like, oh, yeah, I've got a great understanding of the business. I could go in and do this myself. No, no, you, you, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. You know everything that you just explained to me. Then, as much as I like to think I know what I'm talking about when it comes to wrestling, I know what I'm talking about when I see it on on the screen. But what you've just explained there is is you know really really quite deep. I don't think anybody really thinks about that kind of stuff. Is it is that the kind of is that the kind of thing that you you teach guys that you train or that you yes. teach anybody that comes into OVW? Is that like it's one the of the focus. first things that you go it's through? The sole
1: focus. It's the sole focus. You know. It's the, you know, I will, I will teach. I know how, because when I broke into the wrestling business, there were a lot of, at that time, there were, there were um, not what we would call performers, but there were shooters and there were hookers. Hooker, a shooter is a amateur wrestler, shoots in on you, takes you down, ties you up. Hooker is a, a person who hooks holds That's a catch wrestler, which is, you know, really what professional wrestling is. And, and tries to cripple you, tries to break things. So I spent a lot of time with, with guys like that. So I, I've forgotten more switches, reversals, escapes, takedowns, you know, um, holds, you know, catches, hooks. Um, and I do teach people, I'm very, I've broken it down into three classes. There's beginners, there's intermediate, and there's advanced, and you learn specific skills that allow you to help you understand how to learn the next set of skills in each class. And then like say in a beginner's class, a typical wrestling school <clears throat> will teach, take you in, teach you how to land properly, which is a big mistake. Okay. They'll teach you how to take a flip, uh, what we call a bump and a back bump and how to land properly by in- distributing it. But what I- that they really should be trying to teach you is how to control your body in the air so that you can consistently always land the exact same way. The reason that it's different is that I'm teaching you how to control your body because the more you know how to control yourself, the more you can now control another person's body as well with yours. Then I teach you how to to walk in the ring, teach you proper footwork. I teach you timing and I teach you distance just by learning how to, as you guys say in England, link up or lock up or do the collar and elbow, I'm teaching you how to do that in a convincing fashion to the audience and not convince your opponent so that it's safe, okay? You'll do that until you can do it consistently and make it look as believable as possible. I'm also at the same time, I'm doing something that you don't even realize with everything I do in that beginner's class and that's teaching you how to sell. That's another big mistake. Everyone in wrestling today, if you ask them, uh, you know, uh, you know, about selling, they think it's to show that they're hurt, that they're injured, and nothing could be further from the truth. Selling is done both offensively and defensively. Offensively, I'm having to sell whatever I do to you, headlock, hammerlock, body slam, hip toss. I have to sell it like I'm using it to try to beat you. I have to convince the audience I've used it for one sole purpose. That was to beat you your job taking it is to sell the idea that taking it could lead you to get to getting closer to losing the match if you don't sell and convince the audience you're in trouble of losing then there's no consequence to the move if there's no consequence to the move then there's there's no there's no heat to it there's and heat's what really drives ticket sales so i'm going to teach you all of that in a beginners class first and foremost <laughs> Then in the intermediate, we start to learn how to hit the ropes and do bigger moves. But there's no sense in you learning how to do all of that until you learn and understand the concept of what you're doing and why you're doing it, the intent behind it, and how to make it as believable as possible. Because really the only singular thing that has changed about professional wrestling over the years is the level of sophistication of the audience. That's it. What was easier to do and easier to convince an audience 20 years ago is now more difficult because they're much more educated. They're much more sophisticated. So you as a worker have to work on a higher and much more sophisticated level to allow them, even if it's just while they're in the building, to believe in your, what you're doing in the ring and to believe in who you are. Okay. a typical wrestling school in the first two weeks, you learn how to take a bump. You learn to lock up. You start putting on some rudimentary holds and do a few switches and you're already hitting the ropes. Why in the world am I going to have you hit the ropes when you don't even have the proper timing distance of footwork to make a believable headlock or lock up or a switch or a takedown. And now I've got you running off the ropes full speed at another human being. So now the, the propensity or the, the, the potential, for injury goes up goes ramped up why do you think so many wrestlers are getting hurt so regularly now it's because they're not they're trying too hard to convince each other and not you mm. i the art of it is to make it look as intense and believable as possible without it physically being that to the other person because you can't feel no matter what i do you can't feel what i've done in the ring and 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 that's why i can try to keep me trying to sell you on what I do, not why I do it, will always fail. Because as far as you're concerned, because you've never been in a wrestling ring, you think that ring's a mattress or a trampoline. And that because it, it bounces and it's it's easy, it's soft and nothing can be further. That ring is like a piece of concrete. The only, re, it, the only thing it saves us is that it does have flex to it. It has give to it. But other than that, it hurts physically a lot every time you hit it. And and so we're never going to convince you of what we do, because you only experienced about seven of the things that we do in the ring. And and we don't sell those anymore. We don't react to those. We don't interact with those. You know, Um, we completely ignore the referee, you know, um, at all times. And we don't interact with him. It did you know, and I and i always say this because I a lot of contemporaries, a lot of people argue with me that the wrestling business has changed. And I'll tell you this, if it has, which when they say that it's changed, what they're really stating to you is that you, the fan, no longer are paying to see what I claim that you're really wanting to see. Okay? Where we try to convince you of the lie. They think and they really believe that you're paying to see the just the athleticism and the moves and not the consequence of them. So, I always ask these four questions and I've yet to get an answer for them. And that is, if it's really, that's the case. If really you, the fan are just paying to see the moves. Okay. Then answer me this. Why am I paying for a referee to be in the ring with you? Why don't you just yeah. have your entrance? Why don't you go yeah. do your moves? Because no one's doing them to try to win anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. just go out there and do your stuff you know no you ignore the referee anyway uh why am i why am i spending so much money on championship titles why if if the audience isn't there and doesn't care about the you know they're not there about wins and losses or or heel or baby face or you know uh blue eyes and heels they're not there for that um then why 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 are, you, why are you winning and losing to build, work your way up the ladder to win a title? Why I just won't spend the money on it. Why am I paying money for commentators to sit there on the TV show and talk about your match like it's an actual sporting event, like it's a real competition? When you're going to go on, you're going to go the very next day on social media and you're going to congratulate your opponent on a great match. It was so much fun to get to go out there and wrestle with you. Yeah. And the biggest question, and I ask this of all, um, of all the wrestlers, of all the performers. If what you say is true, you really believe it's true that they don't, that the fans aren't there anymore. They just want to see what you do. Then why do you get the boo-boo face when I ask you to lose? Mm, yeah, yeah. Good. Point. Why do you? If if you know that it's changed, it's not about what. It's not about all that anymore. Then why do you? Well you walk around like dudes whenever I ask you to lose. Because that don't make any sense. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. Is it is is this whole so is this problem, do you think it's it's the, the guys training them Is is it a, a, does the fault lie with the trainer for not teaching this stuff, or is it just the wrestlers learn it but well, then choose to ignore it and, and just do their own thing?
1: It's both. it's both both. you know it's been lost Um, the focus has been pulled away um, because everybody believes that only just recently um, was it made aware fans were made aware uh, that wrestling is predetermined And, and in the United States fans have known that since the 1920s definitely since the 1930s but why did they, by the thousands, continue to pay to see it? Well, I would hope you know that magic's not real. So why do thousands of people continue to attend magic shows each year? Yeah. Uh, you know, here in the states, Chris Angel, a, a very popular magician, has his own you know uh, room at the Luxor Hotel in Las Vegas, and and um, had a television show for years. Well. You know, do you have any idea how much it costs to produce a television show? You know, um, why in the world would they do that and make that kind of an investment if they didn't believe there was an audience? But an audience for for something that everyone knows is not real, that he's not altering reality. He's not defying physics or redefining physics or defying gravity. He is he's performing an illusion because he's so good at it and he doesn't ever 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 expose what it is or how he did it he leaves that mystery that's part of the fun and with wrestling the more you familiarity breeds contempt the more you know about something the more contemptuous you become of it the more information you have to it because you don't have the experience to have real knowledge or an understanding of what it is that's really going on so you assume that you do, and you become contemptuous of that very thing that you used to enjoy so much. And by, by giving you too much access and giving you too much information, we have allowed you to become contemptuous of the very thing that we're trying to allow you to enjoy and making our jobs, which are really are the hardest jobs in the world. The hardest job in the world is to motivate someone to come leave their house and pay to see you. It always has been. And um, and now we're making it even more difficult because now we finally get you to believe or care enough about an outcome of a particular match. But then we go on social media and we do the exact opposite and expose that we're not really the person that we said we were and that we're not really in the situation that we said we were in. And now why, where's the motivation and the, and the emotional drive for you to want to come and see it? Yeah. Yeah,
0: absolutely. That's what I say like I said, right back at the start, like I, I, I'm on Twitter most days, just, just checking out what's going on within, within the industry, within the business. And I'll see guys who a month ago hated each other and had a blood feud or whatever you want to call it, congratulating each other on the birth of a child or, you know, and that's okay.
1: You know, you've got to understand too, that it's just, it's no different than real sports. You, you'll see boxers that'll go out there. And, you know, they're in a, uh, you know, not necessarily a feud, but they're, they're definitely, you know, comp- competitors and they, you know, or football players, you know, uh, soccer, rugby. I mean, y- y- you're going to have athletes that on the field or in the ring are going to behave and act a certain way against their opponent or against their opposing team, but then off the field, because they're professionals and it's just a job they, they certainly can interact and Hey, congratulations on the birth of your kid. You know, I still don't like you, but you know, I'm not going to be a dick. You know, that's That's the thing that, you know, it's unless you're in some kind of blood feud where, you know, I I punched your mom in the face and kicked your dog and, you know, you're not going to go on, you're not going to go on Twitter and and congratulate me on the birth of my kid. But now if we just wrestle and I don't like you or or I'm competing with you and that kind of stuff, you can, that's fine. You know, that's like, you know, meet and greets and, you know, autographs. Heels can sign autographs because in real sports, there are real heels. You know, in real life, there are real heels and they don't walk around all day. You know, the MJF's a great, you know, great example. I mean, he never stopped selling who he is, you know, and so you can believe in who he is, you know, um, he, he's, he, he, you know, and it, it's nothing new. It's not like he's reinvented the wheel. And that's why I encourage everyone to do it, you know, because look at the success he's having all because you know you can buy into and believe him as a as a a character and you can describe who he is too to your friends there's this guy, mjf he's a real dick he's you know he never stops being an asshole so yeah um and you can do that the problem is 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 monday night raw you know two guys are one guy's got a hold of another guy and he's choking the life out of him, and then Tuesday on social media, they're there. They got a picture in their arm and arm hanging out together or they're doing a tick tock in the backstage and they're dancing and laughing. Yeah. Well, you know, Bob Holly killed Pierre, the deer head. And then the next day, um, you know, we're back there, both of us holding it, laughing and joking. And, you know, well, now, you, then why do I, as an audience member, give two cares about what what happened? Because yeah. clearly you don't.
0: Yeah. yeah, Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns—that—that that sticks out for me. They were having a great feud a couple of years ago. I think it was 2017 or 18. Brilliant, just going out there to destroy each other, and then literally, like you say, within a few days, there's a photo of them on Twitter. They're on tour somewhere. Somewhere, I think it might have been in Italy or something. Just, just laughing, laughing and joking and and messing around together, and you know, even even as a, a fully grown adult, nearly 32 years old and I know it's not real, and I know that they are friends in real life, it's still a little bit disappointing to see because I I, I want kids, you know, I've, I've got young kids. I want kids to believe it. I want them to to really believe that it's real, but they have such easy access to social media now. Young kids, they're going to see it straight away, and then that illusion is gone at such a young age, and that's sad. That's it's sad not as me. fun. It's
1: not as fun. And, yeah. you know, I a good analogy is, um i always use the toaster analogy okay and it's it's because it's no different a wrestler is a product no different than a toaster so you see a commercial and you see it for this beautiful brilliant toaster it's uh it's 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 got 16 slices slicers and it's got a bagel thing in the center bagel gimmick in the center it's all chrome Got thirty-two settings, and you're like, man, I got to get that. Especially you guys in England, you guys love toast in England, yes, and good and, good. Tea, <laughs> and tea, you know. So you you love tea and toast, and you got to get it. It's sixteen slices in case you have a big party, needs a lot of toast for a lot of tea, and you've got the bagel gimmick in the center, so you can as even, uh, <laughs> yeah. So you go to the store. There on the, on the shelf, in the box, with the picture on the front of the box, is the toaster that you want to buy, and it's all chrome, 32 settings, bagel gimmick in the center, 16 slices. You take it up, you pay for it, you get it home, you take it out of the box. Now, the thing you took out of the box, it's got it's only got eight slices, no bagel gimmick in the center, it's all black, and it only has eight settings, not six, not 32. Are you happy? No. Why? Because you didn't get what you paid for. Yeah. Well, here's a wrestler every week. He's selling you on TV. I'm this guy. I'm this guy. I'm this guy. And I don't get along with this other guy. And you are buying it. You're buying the product until you now open up social media and it's no longer chrome. It's now all black. And you're disappointed. Yeah.
0: You
1: didn't, you didn't get what you paid to see. Yeah.
0: No, it's a good analogy. It's a good analogy. You may be hungry, and it's a good analogy. <laughs> I need that toaster. I'm going to go and find that toaster. <laughs> um, right, let's let's talk about, obviously, you've talked about how you like to train guys and, and what the most important things are for training. Um, you're, you're renowned as one of the best trainers in the business, in the industry. When when did you start to transition into to doing the training? Because I know that you were a road agent for TNA at the time, weren't you? So... Was training something that you always wanted to do or or was it just just something something to try I'd and then you up,
1: fell into it? I'd opened up a school back in the 90s um, in my hometown of Lima, Ohio, and um, I trained people from all over the world. Um, and um, a lot of guys went on to have very successful careers. Um, Blue Meanie, uh, Dan oh, Severin, yeah. both in wrestling and in UFC, I trained him. Um, he went on to have a great career. Um, uh, Truth Martini and Ring of Honor. Um, there are a lot of people that I have trained over the years that have went on to have Dilo. Dilo was one of my guys. Um, Scott Demore. I helped break into the business. Um, so there are a lot of guys that, you know, were, uh, were people that I had my part in playing to, to help develop them over the years. And then, um, you know, I got involved with tough enough when I was in WWE. I, I, I closed down, when I really got busy with w, WWE. I closed down, um, the school because it was my name and, and, you know, I've, I very much hold, uh, feel it's important that, you know, if you're going to carry my name around and people are going to, and you're going to tell people I trained you, then I'm going to have a part to play in it. And you're going to, yep. you know, um, uh, because that's, that's my reputation. You know, if you suck, I suck and I don't suck so um so I I trained a lot of people and then I got involved tough enough and then with WWE they asked me to come to Louisville Kentucky and to be the head trainer for uh you know their developmental program in association with OVW so I you know I had my hands involved with a lot of a lot of those guys that a lot of men and women that you know you see now up there on the roster and um um Directly, you know, or relate, they're. I call them my kids, you know, they're because they're the it's a boxing term and it's a wrestling term, meaning they're you're responsible for them, you brought them up, you raised them in the business, so they're my kids. And um, um, then I, you know, WWE we separated and I became a producer for Impact. Well, when I became an executive with Impact in regards to talent relations and television, I um created the developmental program for with Bruce Pritchard again in association with OVW um um for impact wrestling and and I came up and wrote directed produced the TV and helped uh train and develop those talent as well. And um and then um you know I came back three years ago and I bought OVW and um we're the only approved uh wrestling program in the world um to be accredited as an actual trade school so um, we have an actual curriculum where we teach both the in-ring training uh, of course and then we also teach a lot of the out of, out of the ring training to you know, skills like uh segment producing uh, producing a live television event um you know uh, directing um writing um cameras operation lighting sound live event management, um, you know, we, business management. We teach all of those as well. And um, we're the only only a wrestling school that is uh, approved to be accredited as an actual trade school for professional wrestling and sports entertainment and broadcasting in the world. And uh, um, we're also, you know, outside of WWE and AEW, we're the only uh, wrestling company where a young talent can get experience on live TV. We produce a live television show every Thursday night. And we're on Fight TV. We're, uh, you know, they can be seen around the world. We're, we're locally, we're regionally, we're on four different television stations in just the regional area of Kentucky. Um, and nationally, we're on YTA, uh, Sports 11, Game Plus um, networks. Uh, they're both cable broadcast television networks that um, it allows us to reach over a hundred million homes nationally. And then we're on uh, Roku and Amazon fire and Amazon prime. Um, and uh, we're also on uh, sky sports and um, uh, sports. Uh, another European sports channel um, sports international. Um, and we, we go all over the world now with our television show. So, you know, it's a, um, we do live events. We do at least three to four live events every week now that COVID has passed. Um, you know, so we're, we're the only place that if as a young up and coming wrestler can aspiring wrestler can come, um, get proper, proper training, both in the ring and behind the scenes and can, um, get experience on uh live TV before, you know, because otherwise, um, because TV skills, knowing how to wrestle and maximize the time on TV to its fullest potential is, is, is integral. Um, and the more you can get that experience before you get an opportunity, say with WWE or AEW, where you're thrown in the deep end of the pool, and that's your first time ever on live TV, you know, that's, that's the last place you want to be, um, to get that initial experience. And here you can get that. So, you know, we're, uh, um, I'm all about trying to get, give these young talent as much experience as possible, let them make their mistakes, let them polish themselves up, let them learn and understand what works for them so that when they do get those opportunities, they're as prepared as possible to, to, to make the most of it. What made you implement the, the sort of like the, the behind the scenes
0: training is it so that they've, they've got something to go into if wrestling doesn't maybe work out for them or is it just so mm-hmm. they've got a deeper understanding or is, it, or is it a bit of both is it does it just both. both to know it's all of the, that
1: if you're an in-ring performer and you've operated a camera you now know what a cameraman's looking for when you're in the ring yeah, if, yeah, if yeah. you're the, if you're if you've been in the ring you know as a cameraman what to look for and how to catch everything if you know and, and let's face it, it's not a matter of, of if it'll happen. It's when it'll happen that your re career is going to come to an end. Okay? Yep. And yep. two of the greatest examples, a guy by the name of James Long was here, came in as a wrestler, he wrestled for years in OVW, uh, taught himself how to edit, how to produce, um, lighting, camera operation. And he. I got him hired in Impact as one of the production team, and he moved from Impact to WWE. He's now one of the top television producers for WWE. He has a whole brand new career, you know. Um, another young girl uh, was in Tough Enough 2. Her name was Jessica, Jesse Whitney. And she's a Tomasa Ciampa's wife. And um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. she, um, you know, she got eliminated from t- Tough Enough 2. She came back as an intern with Tough Enough 3 with MTV. She got hired by WWE as a backstage producer. Uh, gained experience for several years as a backstage producer and being involved with TV production. Um, And then she went on to become a television producer for CBS, ABC, uh, NBC, Fox, um, produced major television shows all over the world and has has an amazing career doing that. So they were kind of the inspiration um, for me, you know, that I wanted to give uh, wrestlers, you know, other skills, not only because it would perform, they would perform better and have a better understanding of what to do and why to do it but also because now they have options and can be, you know, be able to take, you know, opportunities outside of the ring as well and continue to keep their career.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've spoken to probably about, I think, I think I've had about 50 guests on the show by now. And, you know, a, a lot of them have admitted that when they got into wrestling, they maybe didn't think about life after wrestling. Because like you say, you can have a freak injury and just boom, it's, it's all taken away,
1: all taken There's away in a heartbeat.
0: You only get, a few you get,
1: years into your career and then and then what do you do you know you can get to my age i've been doing it for 39 years now what do i do you know what yeah. I, I can't do something else you know i've got tons of skills and tons of experience in all different aspects of doing all different jobs in wrestling that would apply to other businesses but you know if i go in and apply for a job a regular job people are going to look at me like well what have you been doing for the last 39 years well i've been a professional wrestler i mean
0: Oh, we don't really have anything like that, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't really just um, go back into a normal bank job or anything, now, can you? You like you say you've got to have that that um, safety net, I guess. So I, um, I spoke to Vicky Guerrero uh, just a few weeks ago, and she had done um, medical practitioner training in the background while she was in in WWE, and, and so that she had that safety blanket just in case, you know. It was all taken away. I think it's. I think it's important. It's really good that you you implement that. I I had no idea. I had absolutely no idea that that's what you did. Um, you. I know that you you opened a school in London as well, didn't you? And you've got schools all all over the place now, all over the world. Have you got plans to expand
1: even further? Are there any other countries or continents oh, yeah. that you're looking to go to? Yeah, I have a, an affiliate school outside of London in Surrey, and then I've got one in the Midlands. Um, and then um, they're in the UK. And then I've got one in Romania, um, Hungary and Denmark, I think because of COVID closed down. Um, but the Hungry, Hungarians are still going good. Um, and Romania, uh, I think is still going well as well. Um, uh, then I've, I've got two in South America and then I've got four here in the United States. So, you know, um, it's, it's, I'm hoping to create a network of schools that, you know, work together um, and then um, um, their training, the style can be different and will be because, you know, the one thing is that uh, psychologically, you know, um, different cultures, like in South America, the audience is going to be different than it is in the UK. In the UK, it's going to be different than it is in Denmark. In Denmark, it's going to be different than it is in Romania you know, there are going to be similarities, but in the United States, even regionally, the you know, the audiences differ. And so what I'm hoping to do is to create a network of, um, interconnected schools that are basically, um, as far as training and approach are all exactly the same as far as style, as far as, as performance do their own way, but, but, core wise the basics the fundamentals are still exactly the same so that you as a talent you you can learn what you can learn from me and you you can you can learn so much but then you can go to Denver here in the United States or you can go to Alabama or you can you know and then or Salt Lake City they're going to do things they're going to have a different way just because it's a different region and a different approach but then you really because we have, you know, I now have a, a a group of people, a network of people that are trusted that I know, and I'll say, hey, you know, I've got this guy, he's really good. Um, would you be uh, have any opportunities for him over in the Midlands? You know, um, yeah, sure. We got, you know, I need a guy. Blah blah blah. Okay, you go over there and you you start to learn exactly what works there and why. Um, you go to Denmark for a while. You go down to South America for a while. You know. Not only does it give you an opportunity to see the world, but you also now you've got all that experience and polish and understanding of what works, why it works, where it works, why it doesn't. And when you get an opportunity on a world stage like WWE, you are that much more ready to be an attraction and and give WWE a return on the investment they're making um, that much quicker so that you can now capitalize on that opportunity and move up the card as fast as possible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Obviously, over the last year and a half, it's been it's been difficult. But do you do you get much time to go to the schools? Like, do you ever get to, to visit London and actually oh, yeah. see what's I going do. on? Do you, do you like I, to get around?
1: I, do, I did a lot more, but prior to COVID, but because of yeah. COVID and everything, it's it was very. Yeah, I haven't gotten to it in ages. So you know, but I do have plans on making trips again. Um, I always enjoy doing it. So
0: where um where is the school in the midlands because I'm, I'm actually in the midlands myself
1: oh uh, gosh um it used to be slam wrestling it's now the aswa runs under the aswa banner um and i can't remember the exact location of it um but luke Doughton is the uh, is the head of that and um you can he's on social media all the time you can you can find it, oh, so I'm gonna have to look that up because
0: yeah i'm I'm near Birmingham, obviously Birmingham being the main the biggest yeah, it's just, just outside of Birmingham, I think so all oh, right, okay interested mm-hmm. um right i want to um I want to round off um first of all, thank you so much for joining me. This has been such mm-hmm. a eye opening experience, like i said um it's great that not only have I got to talk to one of my favorite wrestlers from that time of growing up, but you've given me such a different insight um and, and how we to see things from a very different perspective. Um but I want to ask, I want to end just just with some like sort of like highlights from your career. I know you've had a huge career. Like we said, nearly 40 years, debuting in 82, wrestled well over a thousand matches. What what was your first of all, what, what was your first city, your sorry, your favorite city to wrestle in, um oh. favorite country to wrestle in? We always hear so many wrestlers say that they love the UK.
1: love wrestling here. I love the UK. UK. Um, You know, um, I I really valued and and loved getting the opportunity to go to South Africa. What a beautiful, beautiful country. Um, And, um, you know, I've, you know, um, in in the United States, you know, Philadelphia was always uh, fun. Uh, town city to work in and and Milwaukee and Chicago both are huge wrestling towns with very vocal audiences and uh, um, and uh, uh, you know um, down in Texas uh, um, Dallas and El Paso and um, those are great places too Um, I would you know country-wise like you know UK is awesome South Africa is amazing um, you know, uh, geez, it's tough to, to say, you know, w- what, was my favorite country, but like, I would st- I haven't had the opportunity yet to go to Russia. I would love to go to Russia someday. Um, and, um, go see more of Eastern Europe as well. I'd love to go see more of Eastern Europe. I, I haven't had much of an opportunity to see, um, much of that as of yet. So, you know, um, um, that would be, that'd be, um, fun that'd be a goal for me with wrestling
0: if, um, if, it, if it was difficult to narrow down a favorite favorite location uh, this one might be even harder after the amount of guys that you must have been in the ring with but are there, are there a couple of guys who you always enjoy being in the ring with the most anybody that you enjoyed working with oh sure teaming with or being against
1: who, who were some of your favorites to to mix it up with oh there were there were you know it is hard because there's so many um, but like, you know, Bob Holly was always fun, you know, very physical. Uh, Chris Candido, um, Chris Benoit, um, uh, you know, there were, there were older ones that you, got, you guys wouldn't know. You know, um, there were uh, Doug Williams, um, you know, uh, uh, Christian from, you know, Edging Christian. Christian uh, working, you know, we call it like a night off with a lot of those guys because they're so, it's so easy and, and effortless and, you know, um, and then, you know, but then there, then there are other guys, it's like pulling teeth because it's just Mm -hmm. painful and it's just as long a process, you know, where you just can't, you don't jive with them. Regal. I used to love to, to work with Regal. It was so easy. Um, You know, uh, I got one time with Fit Finley and uh, it was, that was, you know, we we, bear, we didn't speak before, and, bear, and didn't speak in the ring, and we it was awesome. You know, uh, you know, we had the the wrestlers in the back were all out watching because they were buying into it too. Um, a name that very very rarely it's brought, you know, Brad Armstrong, um, George South, George South. What an incredibly talented man that guy is, and so underappreciated as a as an actual worker, um, just so easy um i loved it i love it so is it true
0: that um is it true that what we hear about uk guys being a bit tougher to wrestle is is that you know or is that just a, a myth are we actually tougher to wrestle are we actually i
1: don't think so are they harder? So. Or, no. i think that the reason that that started is because a lot of the like we it goes back to the training you know and the, the lot of the majority of the UK wrestlers are actually taught how to wrestle, you know, and um, um, a lot of American wrestlers these days aren't. They're taught to perform, you know. They're not taught how to really wrestle, and and so you know, UK wrestlers and the UK style, born out of world of sport, and the reason that style, the way that the UK style was developed, was because the censors in um, TV where the UK um, you know they they were the ones that instituted a lot of those rules as far as violence and um, that's what developed that type of style um, you know and uh, because when you watch those old world of sport you see them uh, one wrestler will take another wrestler to the mat but he loses physical contact there was a, a rule by the by the censors um, that once the wrestler lost physical contact with the other wrestler they could if they were down on the mat, they could touch them. You know yeah wow. and that and that's those rules of censorship for violence was what created that unique style and approach yeah.
0: wow there you go even as a uk wrestling fan i had no idea about i could literally <laughs> <laughs> throw random questions at you and listen, literally listen to you educate me about wrestling all day. <laughs> it must be it must be incredible being one of your students. It, it, you know, I'm not just saying that because... They you're probably,
1: They'd probably disagree, but... <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but I'm sure they love it. I'm sure they love the opportunity. As I said at the very start, the, the word legend gets thrown around so often, but you are truly, truly a legend in the business. Thank you again so much for joining me. I'm sorry I kept you so long. I feel like we've just spoken, literally <laughs> for hours and hours and hours. Um, before I let you go, where where can we find you? Where can we find OVW? I know obviously you mentioned um, on Fight TV, but where can we find you guys on social media and and, and follow media. what you guys are
1: doing? You can find uh, OVW at OV Wrestling on Twitter and on Instagram and on TikTok, uh, Ohio Valley Wrestling on Facebook. Um, you can find me at the real Al Snow. Um, I do have the blue check mark and all of that, but there were, there were some fakes and listen, you can be, you can be an imposter of me if you want. All I'm going to do is message you and go, look, why don't you aim the bar higher? I mean, wh- if I were you, I'd want to be Brad Pitt or, you know, uh, George Clooney or somebody. Um, and, um, you can look, uh, I have a book out, um, Uh, that I wrote about my career called self-help it's on amazon you can check it out and um, we have a comic book that is coming out uh the ballad of al snow and head and uh it's put out by broken icon comics um you can order it um it's a 40 page comic book and it's an actual comic book it's not about wrestling it is about the fact that I'm insane and um I believe that I'm a private detective and uh, myself and head to run a detective agency um, uh, solving crimes, and, and it all happens inside of my mental illness. So, um, uh, the first story is one that takes place in a post-apocalyptic Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, the next one is where I become a secret agent because I believe that Canada is a is like Russia. It's like our enemy to the north, and I have to infiltrate Canada. And um, and then there'll be one that where I'm in outer space, and then one underwater. Um, you know, and um, um, so there are all these different scenarios. Ultimately though, I'm always a private detective trying to solve some kind of case. Um, so it's out there. You can go to Broken Icon Comics and uh, check it out. Um, they, it, they, it is the uh, some amazing top talented people from all over the comic book industry worked on it. And um, uh, people that work on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Game of Thrones, oh, wow. um, Star Wars, um, you know, I mean, they're heavy, heavy hitters in the comic book industry. So, yeah. Um, yeah. so it's pretty cool. Pretty
0: cool. That sounds awesome. I would genuinely actually check that out. I have an arm full of um, Marvel superhero tattoos. So I'm definitely interested in that. When,
1: when did you say that's available? You said pre-order that's now. Avi- it's available now. You can get it now. Yeah. And uh, you could, in the UK, you can go to Wrestle, WrestleMerchCentral.com um, they carry collar and elbow um, designs and also Al Snow merchandise as well so
0: cool. so everywhere basically everywhere <laughs> look for Mr. Everywhere Al Snow I'm and doing... you will
1: find him wherever you look <laughs> cool, I'm everywhere I'm like a bad penny I just keep turning up <laughs>
0: <laughs> guys thank you again so much as always for joining us uh, this has been an absolute blast you know where to find me it'll be down here somewhere at PWCDs. All the links will be in the um, in the about section on YouTube. Al, once again, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a blast. Enjoy thank the you. rest of the day. And until next time, guys, take care and thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition.